Well, good morning and welcome to Bachelor Creek. We are starting a, a new series today titled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And uh, I'm trying to play my part. I encourage you as we go throughout the series, if you've got a uh, Mr. Rogers sweater, uh, show it off, wear it proudly. Uh, if you are over 30, um, you probably know that this series is uh, based on the TV show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I, uh, we were having dinner this week around the table, and I asked my 10-year-old son, I said, do you know uh, who Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers is? And uh, he said, oh yeah, isn't that the, the thing that's based on Daniel Tiger? And I was like, hold on, like, Mr. Rogers is the original, he's the OG, like Daniel Tiger is, was inspired by Mr. Rogers. Uh, if you don't know, if, if you are younger, you don't know what Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was, to call it popular would be an understatement, right? Like it was the most popular TV show, kids' TV show of all time. It, it's the longest running show anywhere in the world ever, 33 years in all. And what made Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood stand apart from all the other TV shows that are geared towards children is the fact that where all other shows were geared towards a child's mind, this one really targeted their hearts. And Fred Rogers wanted children to understand that they are loved and they are valued and they are appreciated exactly for who they are and that they have inherent value that they receive from God when they were born. And I think that Mr. Rogers is remarkable. One of the things that he was known for and that he's really still, no, still known for is being America's favorite neighbor. Like everyone wanted to be Mr. Rogers' neighbor. And so it's no surprise that a few years ago, a movie came out that was called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And they wanted to make a movie based on the life of Fred Rogers. And movie producers in Hollywood had this dilemma. They had to decide who was going to play the role of Fred Rogers. I mean, this is no easy task, right? Like, who's going to be the actor depicting Mr. Rogers? And so they had a lot of deliberation and a lot of discussion, and they settled on none other than Tom Hanks to play the role of Mr. Rogers. And I think that was a wonderful decision, personally. I think that Tom Hanks is one of the greatest actors of our generation, uh, one of the greatest actors of all time. Like, if we had a, a Mount Rushmore of, of, of best actors, he's somewhere on that, on, on that, on that list. And um, you may disagree, that's fine, you're entitled to your wrong opinion, but I think he's fantastic, and I think he was the perfect person to portray Mr. Rogers, and he did a great job doing so. But anyway, what's, what's interesting about uh, this is that when CBS Morning News interviewed Tom Hanks about his role playing Mr. Rogers, they asked him how he felt about it, and he said, I was terrified. Now, that's obviously surprising to the interviewers from CBS Morning News. And so they said, what was so terrifying about it? And he said, well, it all began when we were filming on the set in Mr. Rogers' hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And as I was walking off the production set one day, someone, uh, one of the guys in the neighborhood called out to me from across the fence and he said, Mr. Hanks, yeah? I just want you to know that we take Mr. Rogers very seriously here in Pittsburgh, so you better not screw this up. <laughs> and that was the moment where Tom Hanks was like, what, what did I get myself into? But he said the most intimidating thing wasn't the way that people respected Fred Rogers. It was that Fred Rogers just emulated this Christ-like love that 
It's ultimately hard to imitate. It's difficult to emulate. And he said the, the hardest thing about playing that was, was how do I become America's favorite neighbor? How do I really even be a good neighbor? And I just wonder how many of us in this room and how many of us online are intimidated by that role too. Like we know the Bible says to love God and love our neighbor. And those really aren't two separate things. They're really one and the same. We don't love God and love our neighbor. We love God by loving our neighbor. To say that we love God but not our neighbor is impossible. God says, if you love me, you will ultimately love your neighbor. You will love your black neighbor and your white neighbor. You will love your Republican neighbor and your Democrat neighbor. You will love your gay neighbor and your straight neighbor. There's no loophole. There's no exception in this. We love God by loving our neighbor. And I think that that sounds really pretty, but can we just admit the fact that that's really hard to do sometimes? And to be honest, I think the way that, I think Tom Hanks was intimidated by that role of being a good neighbor, I'm often intimidated by that too. There was one guiding principle that Mr. Rogers lived by, and that's simply this. What it looks like to love your neighbor is to be a good neighbor. What if the best way to love your neighbor is by simply being a good neighbor? So today I want to go to a very familiar story in the Gospel of Luke. I want to spend some time really in the second half of the story, and I want to share with you three ways to be a good neighbor as we launch this new series. And I want to give you some very practical, some user-friendly content today. I hope that you will follow along in your Bible. I hope that you will take some notes. I, I hope that you will write down what it is God is teaching you because I don't just want to give you some overarching principles or some, some information that might sound good or feel good. I want to give you some, some practical content that perhaps has the power to transform your relationships within your immediate community. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be. As I mentioned, this is a familiar story to probably many of you. Taylor read the first part of this scripture earlier. There's a young Jewish expert who approaches Jesus, and this religious expert comes to Jesus, and he asks him a question that was frequently asked of Jewish rabbis back then. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds in the way that he often responded. He responded to a question with a question, right? Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And that's good, right? That, that's, that's good because a priest is ultimately someone who's trained to help other people. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, which just simply means a temple assistant. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now this is the point where the Jewish audience who's hearing the story, they would have seen the trajectory of the story and they would have thought to themselves, oh, I know where this is going. Okay, so first we had the, the priest who's kind of like the temple elite and then we have his assistant, the Levite, and so the next person in line in, in the pecking order would be a, a Jewish layman. 
a congregation member, a, a volunteer of sorts. But Jesus jukes him. Look at what he does. He, he says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. Now, even if you've never read this story before, chances are you may have heard the phrase, good Samaritan. We use this word when somebody does a good deed. We, we call them a, a good Samaritan. But in the ancient Jewish mind, Samaritans were anything but good. Samaritans were rotten. Samaritans were evil. Samaritans were, were godless, pagan-worshipping nobodies. And in the midst of, of this racial tension, Jesus decides to use a despised Samaritan as the good guy in the story. What? You're going to make a Samaritan the hero, Jesus? Really? You could have chose anyone and you choose a Samaritan? And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now look at what Jesus says to this religious expert who asked him the question in the first place. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. And the same command that Jesus ends this story with is the same command that he gives to you and me today. Go and do likewise. And the best way to love your neighbor is to be a good neighbor in the first place. How do we do this? Jesus gives us three clues in this story. The first one is this. I hope you'll write it down. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. It's interesting to me that all three men in this story saw the half-dead, wounded man lying on the side of the road, but where two men saw an interruption, one man saw an invitation. I wonder when you see your neighbors, what do you see? Because I believe that what you see determines how you feel. The Bible says that when this Samaritan man saw the half-dead man on the side of the road, he saw him, and when he saw him, this compassion welled up within him. What you see determines how you feel. I think if you see disappointment, you're going to feel discouraged. If you see inconvenience, then ultimately you're going to feel annoyed. If you see rejection, you're going to feel failure. But on the other hand, if you see opportunity, then you're going to feel courage. If you see progress, you're going to feel victory. If you see a gift, you're going to feel gratitude. You see, what you see determines what you feel, and what you feel determines how you respond. The Bible says in this passage that the Samaritan man saw the half-dead man, felt compassion, and responded by showing mercy. When you see your neighbors, what do you see? What do you feel? How do you respond? I hate to admit it, but there are times when I see my neighbors and I'm in a bit of a hurry. I've got things going on. 
I kind of assume certain things about them, and so I do what the priest and the Levite did. I pass by on the other side of the road. Some of you do this at Walmart and Kroger. You're, you're going along, you see somebody from the community, and you're like, oh, nope, and, and you kind of pass by on the other side of the road. You're like, man, I don't know if I have time for this. But I think sometimes, if we're honest, we do the exact same thing that the priest and, and the Levite did. We, we pass by on the other side of the road. Because I think we don't see them the way that God sees. We don't see them through the eyes of Jesus. And let's just admit it. <laughs> This is hard to do, isn't it? This isn't something that comes naturally. Fred Rogers himself admitted that if it weren't for his personal relationship with Jesus, that he would have a hard time seeing people's worth. It's interesting that when he was a kid, Fred Rogers talked about how his mom trained him to see people differently. And so when he would stare at a kid who was deformed or had some sort of disorder, rather than his mom saying, quit staring, look away, she would train him to see that person differently. And so he grew up seeing the inherent image of God, the value that people have deep inside. And so at one point when these network executives were persuading him and pressuring him to to get more celebrity guests on his show, Mr. Rogers said, no, I I don't want to do that. I want to have people on my show who are ordinary or even people who are overlooked or people who are considered to be the the least of society or people that are often judged or or misjudged in a number of ways. And so he would bring people on his show that he believed the world needed to see and, and learn to appreciate. In other situations, he'd he'd be watching TV and he would see some crisis or terrorism or some sort of calamity, and and when he'd see that, his mom would say, don't look away. Look for the helpers. Look for the helpers among those who are hurting. And so he said, I grew up wanting to be one of those helpers and wanting to feature those kinds of helpers on my show. You see, what his mom was teaching him was to open his eyes because what you see determines what you feel, and how you feel determines how you respond. Open your eyes. The second tip that this text gives us is this. Make some room. I love this one. Make some room. The Samaritan man in this passage, he sees that half-dead man on the side of the road, and he makes some room. He makes some room in his schedule. He makes some room in his resources. He makes some room in his finances to help the man because compassion was welling up within him. Now, I have to wonder. Look up here for a moment. I have to wonder. Why didn't the Levite, the temple assistant and the priest, why didn't they help the half-dead man lying on the side of the road? I don't think it's because they were bad. I think it's because they were busy. I mean, the reason they didn't help their neighbors is the same reason that we don't help ours. We don't get to know them, not because we're bad, but because we're too busy. We don't have a lot of room. We we don't have a a lot of margin. And how many of you know that when we don't have margin in in your time, in, in your resources, in your finances, everything feels like an interruption? But it's interesting that this Samaritan man, he... He didn't see it as an interruption. 
He saw it as an invitation. Why? Because he decided to make some room. I think this is one of the biggest things that God calls us to as Christians, and one of the things that's so easy for us to get wrong a lot of the time is because we've got so much going on, and we are so laser-focused on the things that we have in our schedule, and we're so laser-focused on the things that we have to spend our resources and our money on that we often miss the opportunities that God is putting in front of us. There's a great, a great quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I love. He, he said it this way. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. Now, how are you going to be ready to let God interrupt your plans and cross your path with these people, these neighbors, if you're not willing to make some room? This is something we're going to be talking about throughout this series. There's a great story that I came across in my research this week. It was about a college student named Anthony Bresnikan. And uh, Anthony Bresnikan, he now works for Vanity Fair. He's a writer. And he recalled a time when he was in college a couple decades ago, and his parents called him and told him that his grandfather had passed away. And it happened to be during one of the first few weeks of school, and he was just adjusting to life away from home, adjusting to life in college. And so he didn't really have any friends. He didn't really have anyone he would call a neighbor, didn't really have a support system. And so he just felt real lonely, felt alone. In fact, not long ago, he wrote about this, and he said, I I was struggling, lonely, dealing with a lot of broken pieces and not adjusting well. At one point, he's walking through the, the commons, like the student union at his college, and he had recently seen a rerun of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he's walking through the commons, and the elevator doors open, and would you believe it, that standing there in the elevator is Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers himself. And, and he just has this like crazy moment of like, what is happening? Like, I just saw you on TV, and now you're standing in the elevator at my college. And I love what Fred Rogers says. He asks, were you one of my neighbors? And Anthony says, if you mean one of your viewers, then yes. And Mr. Rogers says, well, tell me about yourself. And Anthony says he began to unexpectedly just kind of well up with emotion, and he started to tell Mr. Rogers about the difficulties that he was going through and Fred said, well, if you have a moment, I'd love to spend some time with you. I'd love to hear some more. And so Fred Rogers literally found a corner in the commons building of this university, and for more than an hour, Fred Rogers listens to Anthony, this freshman in college, pour his heart out about losing his grandfather and these other difficulties that he was going through in life. And Fred takes the time to listen to him, to pray for him, to minister to him, and then give him a big hug before walking away. And before he walks away, Anthony Bresnikan says to him, listen, Mr. Rogers, this is not how I saw this day going. Like, this is crazy to me. I never thought that that I would run into you. I never thought that, that, that you would spend over an hour listening to me and praying for me and ministering to me. And This is crazy. And Fred Rogers says to him, Anthony, I want you to know that sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. And I always have time for my neighbors. 
Can I ask you this today? Do you have time for your neighbors? Have you made enough room that, that if God brings someone across your path that, who needs ministering to, can you take the proper time to listen, to pray, to minister to them? If not, then maybe like the Samaritan man in this passage, it's time to make some room. Finally, here's the third tip that the scripture gives us today. The third way to be a good neighbor, and this is so pertinent in today's society, breakthrough barriers. Breakthrough barriers. At the end of the story, Jesus turns back to this Jewish religious scholar and he says, okay, reflecting back on this story that I just told you, which of these men would you say is a good neighbor? Which one is the most neighborly? And the Jewish expert says, the one who showed mercy. Now, the easy way to answer this question would have been to say the Samaritan, right? But watch this now. Racial tensions ran so deep back then that this Jewish scholar couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Like this was the original S word. Like Samaritan was a four-letter word back then. Couldn't even say it. I think it's funny when there are people who think that racism is something that's a 19th, 20th, or 21st century issue. Like it's been something that's been around for 200 or 250 years. No. This goes back thousands of years. It was as bad or as worse, or even worse, in Jesus' day. Now, don't miss this. How amazing is it that Jesus could have chosen anyone to be the hero in this story, but he decided to make this Jewish scholar face some of the deep racial prejudices that were rooted within him, when originally he thought he was probably pretty good at loving God by loving his neighbor. But Jesus wanted him to see that maybe there was one neighbor in particular that you still struggle with. But if you would open your eyes, you would see them as God sees them. If you would make some room in your heart, in your time, in your resources, in your finances, then maybe you'd be able to break through some barriers. Who is the good neighbor in this story? Is it not the Samaritan man who showed mercy? And is it not mercy that's required to break through barriers? This is exactly the kind of stuff that Mr. Rogers constantly wanted to confront on his show. It's wild to me how, how savage Mr. Rogers was because he was this TV show icon. Like he hosted a kid's show, but he was constantly confronting things like racism. But, but you can think of some creative ways that you can begin to, to break down some barriers because the best way to love your neighbor is to be a good neighbor. And oh, that God would, would open our eyes and help us make some room and break through barriers. I, I am so excited for, for this series. And in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be providing you some resources that will really help you personally figure out how to love your neighbors and have a presence in your neighborhood. And I'm excited about what God's going to do there. If you look in your, your bulletin, there's a, a neighborhood map. It says, For My Neighbors. It looks like this. So your, your assignment this week is, is very simple. <clears throat> we just want you to begin to identify your neighbors. Who are the people that, that live around you in close proximity to you? R write down the names of your neighbors. What do you know about them? 
Do you know anything about their family? Do you know their likes? Do you know their, their interests? Do you know their, their, their hobbies? Do you know where they work? Now, if you live in town, you're gonna have people that live a lot closer to you. If you live out in the country, your neighbors may be a little further spread out, but just take that kind of mile block, that, that radius around you, and who are the people that live by you? Write down who you know, but you might figure out, hey, there's some people that live around us that we don't know. And this will be the first step for, to create some awareness of, of who your neighbors are. So, so do that this week. Put this someplace, maybe put it on your fridge where you'll be reminded to, to pray for your neighbors, as a reminder to, to get to know your neighbors better than you do. And as we wrap up this, this message today, I, I want to go back to the story that we read because as I was reading through it this week, I just sensed the Holy Spirit telling me, to, Joel, who are you in this story? Who are you in this story? Are you the religious scholar who thinks he loves his neighbors well, but, but maybe needs to be challenged about some of his inner prejudice? Maybe it's the, the priest or the, the Levite who, who felt like they didn't have enough time or, or maybe weren't qualified, and, and so they passed by on the other side of the road. Maybe you're the half-dead person lying on the road. And I just want to pose the same question to you today. Who are you in this story? And that being the case, how might you respond to the word that God has given us this morning? At one point or another, every one of us have been the half dead, haven't we? And if that's you today, if you identify with the half dead, beaten Jewish man who's lying on the side of the road, can I just tell you that Jesus is the rescuer you've been waiting for? Some of you need to hear that today. God brought you to church to get you the rescue that can only be found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want you to know that the reason that Jesus came to this world was not simply to start some religion. It wasn't to establish this institution that we call the church. But the reason that Jesus came to this earth and died and rose again was so that you might have a relationship with him. The God of this universe loves you way too much to let you go into eternity without him. And so he sent a solution, and his name is Jesus. If today you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never committed your life to him, you've never admitted that, that you're a sinner and received forgiveness for that, if you've never stepped into that relationship with God that can begin today and last forever, can I implore you to make that decision today if you're ready to make that choice? Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's pray together. God, would you open our eyes to see the people around us. God, there is so much hurt, there is so much need. And God, I know personally, I can become so fixated on, on what's right in front of me that I don't see what's all around me. So God, would we begin to see others through the eyes of Jesus? Would we begin to, to make some room for people? Would we break through whatever barriers there are? And would we ultimately, God, love our neighbors by being a good neighbor? Would, would we look at the example that Jesus set for us? God, Scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, that is a deeper love than we can even fathom. So God, would we 
imitate that love? Would we reflect that love that, that so many of us have experienced, the, the love that's changed our lives for all eternity? God, would we show that love to others so that our neighbors, so the people in our community might come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior to make the greatest decision of their life? God, if there's anyone here today who's ready, who needs to make that decision, I pray that today, if they feel like they're dead and lying on the side of the road, God, would they see and realize today that Jesus has come to rescue them? That you take care of all of our sin, you bandage up all of our wounds, you heal us, God. And you promise to never leave us or never forsake us for all of eternity. God, if somebody needs to receive that today, God, I pray that they would not leave this building today without making that decision. And for every single one of us, God, would we commit to being a good neighbor to the people around us? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.